Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. And you know how if you live in San Diego, you could get to the place where you could just take it, you could just take the weather for granted. How you could just wake up every day 72 and warm and you'd think, well, isn't it like this everywhere else in the world? Or if you lived in Colorado and you woke up and you saw the mountains every day of your life, you just took for granted the fact that everybody has a vista like that, that you can see the mountains every day. You know how you could live in a place and get used to the same thing all the time? We have that a little bit when we have Dave Lloyd. Every week, Dave Lloyd basically gets up here and wows us with music, and it's beautiful, and it's it's awe-inspiring sometimes and you know we don't really say a whole lot or do a whole lot but he plays his little song and then he leaves and quietly exits out the back and I sat there thinking man that guy is so good so hug Dave Lloyd today and tell him that you appreciate him and that he did a great job Um, it's 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 like living in San Diego sunny and 72 all the time we get used to it and and uh, we need to say thanks once in a while one last thing and then we'll jump into Jonah chapter 2 if you have your Bible turn to Jonah chapter 2 Uh, I'm preaching today, I'm preaching next week, and then we are going to press play for two weeks in a row on uh, a series called Hope. Uh, We're going to talk about the anchor of hope and the megaphone of hope. It's a series that Louis Giglio did. We're just going to, I can't preach it better than Louis did. And it's a personal experience that he had, uh, an exchange that he had with some people. And um, anybody that has seen this thing just walks away from it and goes, wow. So, um, you know, I'm not even apologizing to you for not preaching for two weeks. It's worth it. It's worth it uh, to have you come in here. We're just going to press play, and you're going to watch video for two weeks. Louis Giglio talking about hope, and a a word of warning, you're going to laugh a lot. It's going to be fun. Bring some Kleenex, because you are going to cry, and he's going to touch your heart, and he's going to really nail down some things for you. This is a message, uh, these two weeks that you're going to hear by Louis. you want to hear it yourself and this is the kind of thing that you're going to come in here and you're going to say man i wish i had brought so and so with me so if there's somebody that you've been thinking about inviting to church get them here for this anchor of hope series like i said it's not this week it's not next week it's the week after next week we'll start that don't miss it because it's going to be really really good let's get into jonah chapter two We talked about Jonah last week. We talked more specifically about runners. We talked about the fact that all of us have been runners at one time or another. And that's really the story of all of us at some point in our life. We've run from God. We've decided that our way was better than God's way and we took off. And and for you, it might have been a deal where you got out of high school, you left your parents, you left the church, you left it all behind and you just started running and you've never really looked back. And now that you have a couple of kids, you start to come back to church and you think, you know, what, what is it, God, that keeps drawing me back to you? That's really the experience that my, uh, my little brother has had. He, he basically grew up in church with us. He graduated from high school, and when he graduated from high school, he graduated from mom and dad. He graduated from church, graduated from Jesus. He graduated from everything, and he ran. And he's been running, and then he uh, got married which is one of the first signs that you're starting to at least think about settling down. Then he started to have kids, and as those kids are growing up, he's looking at them, and he's thinking to himself, you know what, I really want those kids in church. And so he and his family are starting to make a return now to church, but for a long time he's been running. And maybe that's your experience. 
maybe your experience isn't that as much as it is that you've grown up in church you never really ran you never really left but there's this one place this one area where you've said god i'm running from you in this area you can't have this area maybe it's your finances maybe it's a relationship maybe it's something at work maybe it's a a habit that you have an addiction maybe it who knows what it is for you but you could identify what that thing is and say this is the place where i'm running last week we talked about the fact that runners basically have three things happen to them. First of all, when you run, you run to dangerous places. That runners run to dangerous places. They don't, you know, Jonah, when he got in trouble and he started to run from God, he didn't run to dry ground. He ran to a boat. That's a dangerous place if you're running from God. And when we run from God, we run to dangerous places. And if you've ever been a runner, you've looked back over your life and you've said, you know what, when I did that, what was I thinking? Because that was pretty crazy for me to do that. Second thing we, we figured out last week is that when you run, you run to dangerous places. You also, when you run, your life will eventually unravel. It will eventually unravel because you're running away from everything that can help you make good decisions. You're running away from everything that can help you hold life together, and it just becomes more and more of a struggle for you. And the last thing we discovered is that when you run, inevitably the people around you who are close to you will get hurt. Runners from God, if you are friends with or you are family with someone who's running from God, you're close to someone who's running from God, mark it down, you will eventually get hurt by the fallout of that person running from God. The interesting thing is that as we continue, we're going to discover some more things this morning about running. Jonah chapter 2 Jonah, last week we discovered that Jonah had been, dis- been swallowed by a fish. And you hear that and you think, I don't know about that. All I know is Jesus in Matthew 12 bought into the idea of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. That's good enough for me. And uh, so I believe this actually happened. He gets swallowed by this fish. He learns some very important lessons um, after he realized that God wasn't going to let him drown. You know, it wasn't, you know, in his mind, he probably thought, oh, great, God's going to torture me more. Now, you know, I've been through the storm, I've been thrown overboard, I've practically drowned but didn't, now I've been swallowed by a fish. So in Jonah's mind, he probably thinks God just wants to torture me more. And so after he's been there a while, he begins to pray, which is basically something that we all do, isn't it? When we, when we hit rock bottom, when we get to the place where you think, man, you just can't go any further south than that i'm you know i'm lower than a well digger's shoes i'm i I can't it can't get any worse than this Um, we don't want much to do with god oftentimes when things are going great when things are good and 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 life is happy a lot of times we're not found praying we in fact a lot of times we're not even found going to church in those times because why would i everything's good for me the hardest person for this church to reach or for anybody to reach really is the guy that has the beautiful wife and the 2.3 kids and the great house and everything's going his way and wonderful job it's hard to convince that guy that he needs god but when when everything goes south and when when the bottom falls out of everything that's when people begin to pray that's when jonah began to pray and after uh, he escapes from inside the fish he gets out he writes down some of these things these outlines to his prayers and these are insights that we have gained uh, from how God sees a runner. So what we're going to talk about today are the five facts about runners, the five facts that, that you can count on with God relative to runners. And you may be here today and you're still running. You know, you, you were here last week and you might have thought it was interesting, but what does it all mean? Uh, you need to listen today because you're going to gain some insight as to what God's attitude is to the person who decides, you know what, God, I'm, I'm not listening. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to run. Five things. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, 
From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And here's the first surprise, the first fact we learn about the runner. And he answered me. It's what we discover. The first thing we discover is that God's attitude toward the person who runs is that when they decided to pray, God is there to hear that prayer. It's not like when you're running, God says, well, you're running. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. God listens to the prayer of the runner. It's amazing. God doesn't have any reason to listen to the runner. I mean, if you're running and running and the bottom's falling out and you've gotten to the place where the consequences are so stark that you finally decide, it kicks in somewhere in your head, I'm just going to pray now. I'm going to decide to lift an offering, a prayer offering up to God. You don't have any leverage with God. And it's interesting that we even think like that, that we could even have leverage with God. Like if we behave well enough, then somehow that gives me leverage and I have the privilege or the opportunity or the right to go pray to God. That's how we think, but that's not really the truth. We don't ever have leverage with God. God made us. We are the created. He is the creator, and there's no such thing as us having leverage with God, but that's how we think. But we think when when things have hit rock bottom, there's no way I should pray now. I mean, from Jonah's perspective, he's in the belly of a fish. He's praying a prayer of rededication that says pretty much, Lord, from now on, and think about how presumptive it is on Jonah's part to pray a prayer like that. From now on, God would look at us and say, you know what? The shape you're in, you may not have a from now on. Yeah, I mean, it might not get any better for you. In fact, you may not make it to another day. Uh, don't, don't try to bargain with me. Don't try to leverage somehow with me. You're in a precarious spot, but when you offer up your prayer and say, Lord, I, I'm listening. I'm ready to do what you want me to do. I'm, I'm here, and I'm, I've got my, my, uh, my thinking cap on, my listening ears on. What is it that you want to say to me? God hears our prayers. Um, what we discover is that when you're at your wit's end, when you get to the place where it's just you know it's the it's the worst place you can imagine it's the place that you think you know i never thought that i would be here and you're experiencing the consequences of the decisions that you have made you got nobody to blame but you in that moment when you turn to god god hears your prayers in fact you go back and look at verse one from inside the fish jonah prayed to the lord his god he said in my distress and you might if you have a pen in your hand you might write out to the side in my distress that I brought on myself right because most of the time it's something that we brought on ourselves. I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry now why would God do that why would God listen to the cry of somebody that has run that of somebody that has said you know god i know what you want but no i don't want to do that i'm not going to do that um somebody basically that has treated god like a dog and sometimes that what that's what we do we treat god like our german shepherd or our golden retriever and we we sit and stay and i'm going to go over here and now you stay don't know i don't want you to come with me you stay we we oftentimes we we in our prayer life it it would sound to God maybe like we're treating him like a dog Um, God had no reason to listen to Jonah but the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament the story of Jonah is this Uh, this is the good news that in your distress when you hit rock bottom when you have no leverage with God he hears the prayers of the runner 
in our distress, uh, you know, we know we did something wrong. God said don't do it. Mama said don't do it. Your friend said don't do it. And, and everybody said don't do it. Don't go there. Don't, don't marry him. Don't buy that. Don't invest in that. Don't move there. Um, uh, don't take that. Uh, whatever it was in the midst of your distress, when you knew better, runners can turn back to God and he hears their prayers. And from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling us, that he hears the prayers of the runner. You see, not knowing this could, could keep you from eventually turning back to God. If you don't know that God hears the prayers of a runner, it's quite possible that you might think to yourself, well, you know, I've made this mess. I mean, it's my fault and it's my problem. And, and uh, you know, God's not going to help me and I don't know how to help me. And so the best thing I can do is to just keep running because there is no help and there is no way for me to get back and I can't turn to God and I can't turn to my parents and I can't seem to break this habit or solve this problem or whatever it is so I'm just going to live and let live and God says you have an option you, you can stop running you can slow down long enough to hear my voice and you can turn and you can cry out to me and I will hear your, your cry and you can come to me not only does God hear the prayers of a runner but God is often in the midst of the circumstances that bring us to the end of ourselves look at verse three you hurled me into the deep to which we'd say no jonah god didn't hurl you into the deep the, those sailors hurled you into the deep and jonah would say well you know i know that i know that they had a hand in it but looking back that was god god was in that god was in the details they were just basically tools that god used to affect his purpose and his will when you turn back toward God and when you quit running here's what you'll discover the circumstances that you hate the things that you've been through that you think man I I, I wouldn't want to go through that again if my life depended on it the debt that is about to swallow you whole you know the mistake that you made that you wish you hadn't made the stuff that makes you so mad you're mad at your wife or your business partner or your boss you're mad because life's not going the way you want it to go one day you're going to have some distance between whatever that thing is and, and you're going to be with God and you're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what? God allowed me to come to the end of myself so that he could get my attention and teach me what I needed to know. You'll look back at your circumstances and you're going to say, that was God. And it wasn't God paying you back like we talked about last week. It's not God trying to pay you back. It's God trying to win you back. Do you think that if God loves you, that he would just let you run and run forever and not go get you? Do you think that a God who loves you at some point in the whole running process with you wouldn't take steps in your direction to go try and, and bring you back to him? I, I, I saw, was at a, um, a family reunion one time and there were railroad tracks really close to the house uh, in the backyard. I mean, basically the railroad tracks were in the backyard. I mean, it was a decent sized yard, but uh, not huge and there were little kids and of course you know parents look out there and see those railroad tracks and they all give the stern warning to all their kids well there were little toddler kids back there and um, at one point the train you could hear the train coming and this little kid heard the train whistle and started to run toward the tracks well mama was out there do you think that mama just kind of stood by and said oh honey you know don't run toward the train no she, she sprung into action. She took steps in the direction of the child so that she could go rescue the child. I mean, what, 
what, what makes us think that God wouldn't do that for us? What makes us think that God would say, well, you know, I wanted Jonah to do this, but Jonah doesn't want to do it, and so I'm just going to get somebody else to go talk to the Ninevites. I'll just find somebody else. Let Jonah go. I'm not worried about Jonah. Jonah's got his own problems, and I'm not going to mess with him. Today, maybe you can't see it because you're in the middle of it. Maybe um, you're in the midst of running, but, but hopefully one of these days you'll be able to remember back to a time when God has allowed you to come to the end of yourselves in the middle of your circumstances. And you'll say, I hated it, and I blamed everybody else for it. Um, you know, I thought it was everybody else's problem and not mine, but God was in the midst of those circumstances. The third thing I want you to see is that Jonah discovered that God's discipline is thorough. Every major Bible character has learned this lesson. Most of us have discovered this, and if you haven't, you will, that when he brings us back, he oftentimes uh, is not gentle about it. I mean, have you ever prayed prayers, God, um, I'm having a hard time in this particular area, please be gentle with me. Um, There are times when God isn't so gentle, when God gets your attention and he snaps you back to reality. Sometimes he's so extreme that we can't even imagine that God would allow something like that to happen to us. And it makes us mad that God would be that way. This is how Jonah says it. Look at verse four. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me. In other words, he thought this is, this is the end. I mean, I'm at the end. The deep waters surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the root roots of the mountains I sank down he could basically tell when the fish was going up and down the earth beneath barred me in forever but you brought me life up from you brought my life up from the pit O Lord my God when my life was ebbing away in other words there was a time when I thought it's over this is the end and I'm not going to get to go any farther I've held my breath as long as I can I've kept my sanity as long as I can something is going on within him and he realized that this was the end He said, basically, I've been as stretched as far as a person can be stretched. And then look at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, let me ask you a question. How long do you think God was in the belly of the fish before he repented? Do you really think it took three days for Jonah to come to his senses and to repent? Do you think it took three days for Jonah to go, well, I don't want to be here. I mean, I expect inside of three minutes, Jonah is thinking to himself, this is not very nice. Uh, This is not a place that I want to be. I expect that inside three minutes, Jonah was ready to repent. And he thought, this is, you know, this is how it's going to end for me. I'm not going to drown. I'm going to end in the belly of a fish. Here's what you see. When, When God decides to bring you back, he is unbelievably thorough. Sometimes, we discover that God loves us enough, and listen to this, God loves us enough to scar us so that we never forget. You hear that and you think, man, that's, that just doesn't seem right. Not because he's trying to pay you back. I want to make sure you understand that. It's not that God's trying to pay you back. It's that God's trying to win you back. The worst sight in the world for me when I was seven, eight years old was the sight of my dad's right hand reaching for his belt buckle. And it was amazing to me how fast my dad could get, I mean, his waist was pretty big, but he didn't have any trouble at all whipping the belt off of his, out through his belt loops. It was a terrifying experience. Now, when that happened, 
don't you imagine that when I heard the, you can just hear the sound. Or those of you who've been through that, you can hear the sound, can't you? Each belt loop, you know, it's just like, oh my goodness. And you're ready to repent, right? You're sorry. You don't even, might not even know what you've done, but you're sorry you've done it, whatever it is, when you see dad go for the belt, right? And do you think that when you say, oh dad, I'm sorry, You think when I saw dad getting ready to spank me with the belt that I looked at him and said, dad, I'm sorry. Do you think that stopped the whipping? No, it didn't stop the whipping. Dad said, in his mind, he's thinking, I've got to make this child associate rebellion with pain so that there is a little bitty scar in his psyche and he knows you don't do that. That's not tolerated. I'm not gonna have that. And if you step out of line like that, there's going to be a consequence for it. I hated it when dad reached for the belt. But you know what? Looking back, I'm really glad that my dad cared enough about me to spank me anyway. I'm really glad that my dad decided, hey, there's some things that I want you to learn, and I'm going to be a... I'm not going to be real nice about it. Man, I... If you knew what I was leaving out sometimes, you would be so proud. So that when I was older, I would remember. He was willing to allow me to experience a little bit of pain so that I would associate it with rebellion. And as a son, I'm forever grateful to my dad that he did that. I think most sons would be thankful to have had a father who, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of adults make this statement when they've gotten older. My dad was a strict disciplinarian. Usually they don't say that uh, as, it, as if it was something negative. They usually say that with a sense of pride, with some sense of accomplishment. My dad, you know, it's all, there's a sense of thankfulness behind that. My dad was a strict disciplinarian. He didn't put up with a lot of stuff from us. He didn't, he didn't allow us to go doing all that stuff. And if we got out of line, he made sure that we knew we were out of line. I, I don't spank, I, haven't, I mean, I don't really need to spank now, but when my kids were littler, I didn't really spank all that often, but when I did, they knew they'd been spanked. There's, a, there's one time, we had been up here at the church, it was a Sunday night, and they, you know, I was scared to death I was going to raise preacher's kids. The worst thing in the world I, to me was to have raised preacher's kids, and so I was pretty tough on them. Parley's gotten on me for being tough on them and I they were up here and I kept calling them down and they weren't listening to me and I wasn't going to do anything in front of everybody wasn't going to make a scene but in my mind it was done when we get home it you know the hammer is going to drop when we get home so we get in the car to go home and I'm not saying anything and the kids are talking you know and they realize dad is not happy at all and the mood in the car just and it was almost like mental terrorism for me you know I'm just I'm just you know milking it for all it's worth there they know it's this is not going to end well at all so we get home and I don't know where mom was she might have been she might have been over at home seeing her folks I'm not sure I had the kids by myself so I sent them into the house and I took Delaney to the garage first and I talked to her and I explained to her what I'd done and I said now I'm going to spank you and you're not ever going to do what you did up there tonight again spanked her five times I mean my hand hurt when I got done making sure that I got the point across you're not going to do this and then I sent her into the house crying which is great you know like mental torture for the other two because I went I noticed I started with the youngest one and worked up because I wanted the oldest one to just be shaken by the time it got to be his turn so I I said go in and send me your your middle brother so she 
dad wants to see you in the garage. So can you imagine that exchange? They meet each other in the hallway coming down, and Tanner's coming out to the garage, and he knows he's going to get it. And I spanked him three, five times, and go get me your brother, and sent Bennett out, you know, and I told him what he'd done wrong and spanked him. You know what? I got more mileage out of that spanking. I, didn't, I, don't, I think that might have been the last time I ever spanked him. I mean, I laid it on. I probably, here's the key, I probably went overboard. I probably gave them more than they deserved, right? They probably didn't deserve everything that they got that night, but they came, they, they came to a place where they understood and they associated the rebellion that I experienced here with the pain that they experienced there, and they said, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. That, that's not pleasant. That's not something that I want to go through. God's discipline sometimes is incredibly thorough. And for us, it may seem like it's overboard. It may seem like it's too much. And we say, God, you know, all I did was this. All I said was that. And I've got to go through all these circumstances. There's something in us as parents that, that wants to rescue our kids. And, and I, I can tell, I, can, I mean, I've got teenagers now and I can see how this creeps up in my world and if you're a parent I want to give you some caution too there's there's this there's this thing in us that when we see our kids getting ready to experience negative consequences a lot of times we want to step in between those consequences and our kids so that they don't experience those things so that they don't have to go through that and can I just tell you that when you do that you prolong their agony you prolong your agony there are times that your kids have to go through things and the only way they're going to learn and the only way, get this, the only way that they are going to learn some of the values that you're trying to instill in them is for you to allow them to go through some of that stuff. Because for, for you, for, you watch parents, and I, as a pastor I've watched this, as a father I've done this and, and, and seen this, and, and as a youth pastor... You watch parents jump off the ship and into the sea to rescue their kids, and everybody loses. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough to stand and watch your kids suffer the consequences greater than you know that they deserve. It's tough sometimes to, to stand back and say, you know what? <laughs> as hard as that is to watch, I'm going to let that happen because they need the lesson that is going to come from it. And yet, that is God's love, that is God's mercy. And that is God's grace. Only with time and distance do we see such things as, the, as God's discipline being thorough. You look back at the times in your life where you have learned great lessons, and what you're going to find is that you probably went through some consequence that might have been harsher than you deserved in God's economy. And, and you would say, you know what, I wouldn't trade that lesson for the world. There are certain things that you've been through that I've been through that you'd say, you know what, God really taught me something in that. The fourth thing Jonah learned about God is this. To run from God is really to run from his provision and his protection. He uses a really interesting little Hebrew word. Uh, it's consistently used throughout the Old Testament to refer to something very specific. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace, and that's the word, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That, there's that little Hebrew word. We encountered this word when we were in the Ruth series. You may remember this word. It was hesed. Hesed. That, that is God's love. That is God's grace. That is his, his, uh, his unconditional covenant love. It's, it's translated all different kinds of ways in the Old Testament. And Jonah's saying, I realize that I have done what the Ninevites have done. 
I was supposed to go tell the Ninevites to turn away from pagan idols and God so that God wouldn't judge. And I've done the same thing. I've gotten focused on something that I want and I, to the exclusion of what it was that God wanted. And, and any time we do that, that's an idol. And we all do that from time to time. We, we all go through a stage where we focus more on what we want than what God wants. And every time we do that, that's a form of idol worship. And he said, in pursuing that thing that I thought would bring me fulfillment, in pursuing that thing that I thought would, would get me what I wanted in life, I have forfeited and I have turned my back on God and on his unconditional love to a place where I, I you know, I, I've run away from the place where I could ultimately be fulfilled. I've run away from the, the place where I could, could really know what my purpose was in life. And when you turn and you run away from it, you run away from the things that you really are searching for in life more than anything else. The main reason I think we run when we're young is that we assume, and maybe even when we're old, is that we assume that if we don't, we're going to miss out on good things. We're going to miss out on that person or that experience or, or that money. We're going to miss out on, on that house or that career or that income. There, there's something out there, and we think, God... You're just, you're just in the way and you're trying to take away from me something that I want and, and I want it. And if I listen to you, I'm not going to have it. And so we, we treat God like a, a dog and we say, God, I want you to mind your own business and in this particular area, I want you to stay and I want you to leave me alone so that I can go and pursue this thing, whatever it is. And somewhere down the road, we discover that it isn't there. Look how he finishes. He's going to use a word that we're very familiar with, uh, but he's going to put a little different spin on it. Verse 9, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. He has a moment of discovery. He has this, this you know, I thought I could save myself. He's not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking more about um, practical things. I thought I could save myself from misery. I thought I could... could uh, uh, save myself from, from doing that thing that I don't want to do. We think, I can save myself from unhappiness. I can save myself from guilt and loneliness. I can save myself from not having pleasure. And so we say, I'll save myself, I'll save myself, I'll save myself. God, stay. I'll save myself, I'll save myself. And Jonah realizes what we all realize, that salvation from the Lord is really about guilt it's it's salvation from guilt is from the lord salvation from from loneliness salvation from fear salvation from a purposeness purposelessness is with the lord and and you know you, you find yourself asking the question what was i thinking when i tuck tail and run what 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 was going through my mind when i looked at at god's provision and god's protection and said no i don't want that I know better than God, and, and I want to do what God, uh, what I want to do what I want to do, and not what God wants. When you keep running, you think that eventually you'll you'll outrun it, and it'll be great. You think that eventually you'll get to the place that 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 you know this euphoria comes in, and it's just not there. The greatest thing that can happen, to you and me, is that we stop and say, uh, "What is it that I'm trying to save myself from?" And really, the thing that we're running from is the thing that we need the most, which is salvation. Not just heaven when you die. Salvation is from the Lord. And then we come in kind of for a landing. This is, this is kind of the biggie. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is kind of Jonah's aha moment. 
this, this is, you know, God surprises him even further. This, the last thing we find is God is the God of second chances. That's, you know, anybody in the room has got to appreciate that. There's not anybody in this room that doesn't appreciate the fact that God is a God of second chances. You know, if you, don't, if you didn't know the, the end of the story, you would assume it was over. Jonah gets thrown overboard. He's not going to get to die a, a, a rather quick drowning death. No, God's going to torture him and let him get eaten by a fish. And you think, well, that's going to be the end of it. Or, you, you know, Jonah's going to have this moment of revelation and this aha moment, and he's going to finally repent, and God's going to take him out anyway. But that's not what happens. After it seems that Jonah has been punished and tortured by God, we find out that God is a God of second chances. A second chance for a guy that looked at God, much like we have at different times in our life, and we've all done this, we've looked at God and said, God, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm, I'm not going to have that, or I'm not going to do that. I believe in you. I know you. I know this is what you want. Um, I don't need any more information. I've just decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And God says, even with that, Jonah, I'm going to give you another chance. Look at verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Flip over to chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And then, duh, Jonah, after everything he's been through, look at his response to that. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. You reckon? You think after everything Jonah's been through, God gives him a second chance and says, hey, I want you to go see those Ninevites and I want you, I got a message for them and I want you to carry the message. One more thing and we're done. All the sin, all the consequences, all the pain. Do you know that God can leverage all of that in your world and in my world for something good? You say, Brett, you, you really do not know how far I've drifted. And you do not know the things that are going on in my world. And if you knew those things, you wouldn't say something like that because God can't take what's happened in my world and leverage it for something good. Well, all I know is that the Old Testament and the New Testament message is the same. That God is a God of grace, that God is a God of second chances, that he takes the things in your life and in mine, those things that we look at and say, man, that's nasty, that's ugly, I don't want anybody to see that, I don't want anybody to know about that, I don't want to go through that again. God takes all those things and he leverages those things with his grace and his mercy. You see, everybody in scripture that is a hero to you, all of your biblical heroes were runners. The people who have impacted your life the most, spiritually speaking, have at one point or another uh, have been runners. They've been people who has, have at one point looked at God and said, God, I know this is what you want. I know this is what you're after, but I'm not going to do that. Everybody that has impacted you in some way has run from God at one time or another. Here's, here's something interesting for you to think about. We only let runners on this stage to preach. We only let runners run our youth program. We only let runners lead worship. We only let runners greet. The only people we let do anything in this church are people who at one point have been runners and have learned the lessons that we're talking about this morning. That when you run away from God, you're running away from protection and provision. That he's going to let you come to the end of yourself. But one thing they know that we all know that you have to know, God is a God of second chances. Think about Paul for a minute. Paul, 
had a profession where he basically threw Christians in prison and persecuted them. And eventually he comes to Christ, and when he does that, God allows him to write half of the New Testament. And then you got David, who sins with Bathsheba and goes through all kinds of stuff. But, but God gives David this, this legacy in Scripture, this man that is referred to as the man after God's own heart. I mean, if ever there was a runner, it was David, and yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. That gives me hope. Peter, who follows Jesus around, saw him do miracles, saw these unbelievable sights, and then at the end of the life of Jesus physically on this earth, he's at a place where he's able to, he's given the opportunity to stand up and be uh, counted among his followers. A, a little girl sees him in the courtyard and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he cusses and he says, no, I never knew him. And Jesus allows him to write books in the Bible. When you quit running from God, God is going to restore some relationships to you. When you quit running from God, he will restore you financially. He will restore your heart. He will restore your mind. He will restore your conscience. But here's what you can't do. Here's something that God can't do. God cannot give you back time that has been wasted in your running. See, when we run, we waste a fair amount of time. And you look sometimes at the running that you've done and you say, man, I wish I could have those years back or I wish I could have that season back. And God says, no, you can't. I mean, that's time that's gone. The only bad thing about the running uh, when you stop is you look over your shoulder and you realize there's time that's passed that you can't get back. Let this be the end. Why not let this be the day where you have a quiet time with God? And, you know, we offer invitations here. We have a song of surrender that we're going to sing in just a moment. When we stand and sing, if you've never given your life to Christ, that's when you can give your life to Christ. You can truly, in every sense of the word, stop running from God. There's a lot of people in the room who gave their life to Christ a long time ago, but find themselves in a circumstance this morning where they would say, you know what, I'm running today. I'm running. And it's not something where you've got to come down front and give your life to Christ all over again. It may be a thing for you where as we sing this song, your love is high, your love is deep, long and wide, that you start, it starts to cascade over you and you realize, I have been running from God. And right where you stand, right where you are, you cry out. What you need to know is God's going to hear that cry. And what you need to know is that God is a God of second chances. Yes, he may have some thorough discipline for you. But at the end of the day, when you get it all together and you look back over your shoulder, what you're going to realize is that was a good thing. That was a God thing. Surrender to him. Stop running. Don't try to, you, first of all, you can't do it. You're not going to outrun God. You can try. You, you, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Let's pray together. Father, there is something in us, and it's a sinful thing, that makes us believe that we can get away with running from you. There's something in us that makes us think that we know better than you. There's something in us that, that uh, wants so desperately what we want. And we think oftentimes that what we want is better than what you want for us. And Father, how can that be when you're the one that made us? But Lord, we're sinful and we're blinded by our own ambitions and our own desires and we just don't have the perspective that you have. 
And so humbly this morning we come before you and we confess that. We confess that we aren't you and we can't see things the way you see them. And I pray, Father, this morning that we would, would finally be brought to a place where we can see God knows better than me. Father, for the person that's in the room this morning that is running from God, they've known you for a long time, but they're running from you. I pray that you would have their attention and I pray that, that your discipline would be gentle. But if it isn't, Father, and it has to be a little more thorough, a little more extensive, I pray that they would receive it the way you mean for it to be received. Father, sometimes you have to scar us to make sure that we remember that running is not a good idea. But Father, the, the, the real message today is that you are a God of second chances. That when we run, you don't hold it against us. You don't get mad at us. You give us another chance and another chance and another chance. And Father, all of us in the room have known that. And then finally, Lord, there are people in the room this morning that have never given their heart and their life to Christ and they have been on the run their whole life. And I pray, Father, that you would just help them to answer one simple question in their mind this morning. And that question is, what am I running from and what am I afraid of? Because, Father, when we see Jesus on the cross, we see hope. We see salvation. We see peace of mind. Father, you love us and we love you back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.